endeavoring to do a flyover tie together series to bring all of this and the revelation back together after spending so long tearing it all apart. I think I might have bit off a little bit more than I can chew tonight. So we'll say a door, a throne, and the Lamb part one. How about that? Revelation chapter four and five. And after coming to John while on the Isle of Patmos at a time when persecution was coming upon the church in a way that was greater than it had ever come up to that point, the Lord comes and He presents Himself to John and He declares to them that He will show him what must take place both now and after this. But before He turns Himself to the prophetic word proper, or at least to the prophetic word future, probably a better description, He pauses for a moment and He speaks directly to His heart. He speaks directly to his churches and in these seven epistles he tells them that the one that conquers will be given the ultimate prize to the one that conquers will be given the Lamb of God. Then he begins with what is said to be a record of the greatest tribulation that has ever come upon men or will ever come upon you. Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 through 2 John says that after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I will show you what must take place after this and at once I was in the spirit and behold a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. After the narrative of Christ to the seven churches, the Lord begins to show John what is to come. And He shows it to him in the Spirit. What we're seeing here is still happening in real time. It's happening to John at the moment. The future prophecy that is to come does not even begin until chapter 6. So everything that you see happening in John chapter 4 and John chapter 5 is happening in real time. As much as what is going on eternally can be considered to be happening in real time. We won't even try to open that can. Tonight. There's a door standing open in heaven that John goes through in the late first century AD. And he sees a glimpse into the real time throne room to what for him is very much right now. What I would propose to you is right now for us. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat on it had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the throne were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And when you see 
the throne of God presented in Scripture. What is clear to us, though there is grandeur and majesty all around, and rightfully so, what is clear to us, the focus of the throne of God is on the authority that is represented there and not so much on the piece of furniture. Matter of fact, if you push forward just a couple of chapters into Revelation chapter 7, in verses 15 through 17, Verse 15, it says, Therefore, before the throne of God, these that have had their robes washed white, these that are coming out of the great tribulation, they are before the throne of God. But the throne itself is not their focus. They're before the throne of God and they serve Him. They serve Him. They serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence and they shall hunger no more and neither thirst any more and the sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When you look at these saints that are faithful unto death, that are coming martyred for their witness out of the great tribulation, man, they sit before the throne, but it's not the throne they're concerned with. It's Him who sits on the throne that shelters them with His presence. It is the Lamb is in the midst of the throne that is their shepherd. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, while trying not to lose his mind, the prophet says it this way, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah would grapple with his sanity here very shortly and say, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and come from the people of unclean, of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen, not the throne, but my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. The throne is defined by the King and not the King by the throne. This is one of the great mistakes, according to Ezekiel, that the Antichrist will make is that you can reverse engineer this and come at it the other way. The reality is, is the throne of God wherever is wherever God Himself sees fit to set. Yet it is gloriously befitting His presence. It says that it is surrounded by a crystal sea, as it were. We looked in detail when we tore this section apart. It is an expanse. Glass, flat and smooth, crystal hard and clear, not a liquid sea, but much like we see described in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 22 and 26, speaking of the throne of God, that over the heads of the living creatures there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads, and above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne. In appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. We see something similar in Exodus chapter 24 when Moses is meeting with God upon the mountain. And Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under His feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And in this Miss. If you take the descriptions in Ezekiel and Exodus and Revelation and put them all together, you end up with 
a picture of this expanse as though it is this crystalline sea, this flat, hard expanse, shiny and clear as the heavens itself, and another one above it. You see the same, it's not in the notes, you see the same thing described when it speaks of the fall of Satan. And speaking about how he was in Eden and walked upon the mountain of God in the midst of the fiery stones. You've got this picture of intense power, heat, this gloriously glazed over throne room full. Issuing forth from the throne are flashes of lightning, rumbling and peals of thunder. The absolutely unbridled power of an omnipotent God on physical display. It says He's surrounded by the rainbow, the physical symbol of God's covenant with all the earth to never again strike down every living creature as long as the earth remains by water. This is His appearance in the very real time now when John is called forth through the door in heaven to see the throne of the very living God hear what must come after this. His appearance, it said, is like emerald and seated on the throne is one like. It's the best that John can do. Like. I've always, you know, you, I know it's not historically accurate, but I've always had this picture in my head of John looking like this kind of bald-headed, like really stressed out, um, like gentleman secretary with this scroll and this quill just going as fast as he possibly can. Trying to fulfill his commission and take down all that he is seeing. And he sees one like precious stones, jasper, carnelian, brilliant ruby, red light stone surrounding the throne seven torches of fire that are the seven spirits of God and four living creatures that really more than anything else set the tone for everything that's going on. Because when we look to the creative nature of God, while there is, as we talked about this morning, while His divine power, His eternal nature is clearly seen all of the things around us. The fact of the matter is, is when you look at the highest order of creation that God produces, it's not lightning and fire and stars and rubies and galaxies. The highest order of creation that God produces is sentient living beings. Those that bear to some degree His own reflection and His own image. And so more than the lightning, more than the the searing crystal, more than the, 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 the rumblings of thunder. What this set the scene in the created throne room here more than anything else is the four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. 
And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Never ceasing through all of eternity this refrain. Holy, holy, word in the Greek is hagios. And it means separate or other than. If you really want to grab I know it's clunky, but if you really want to grab it, other than is it. And with God, there's always the implication that the other than is so extreme that it inspires awe on behalf of the vulgar. Now, we've been over this. I, think every, I don't know if it was in this class or not. Everybody understands like, the, the technical definition of vulgar, right? We think of vulgar, we think of little. That's the, technically, vulgar means common. Now, when you have a God that's holy, the vulgar is the thing of which the wrath of God is revealed against. But for humans, vulgar just means the everyday stuff. So when you have people that are common, that are fallen, that are finite, that are limited, that are creatures whose existence is, is like the grass that is scooped up and thrown into the fire, and you have this holy, eternal God in all of the magnificence of His power and might and justice and love and wrath and grace, even these creatures, which are to some degree in our vulgarity holy, they sure are other than than us. I don't know what one looks like when he's got a face like an eagle in flight, but if I'm sure if you saw it, it would be jaw-dropping. These creatures that are so set apart from us that even when John himself sees them, he has the tendency to sinfully fall down and worship and has to be corrected. Boy, that's got to be awkward in the middle of the throne room. Good grief, man. You're an apostle. Stand up. And yet, even in their difference from us, He is so fundamentally other than them that all they can do without ceasing is to declare that He is different. And you want to know the foundational aspect of the character of God thing that makes God God more than anything else. It is not His power. It is not His wrath. It is not His righteousness. It is not His love. It is not His justice. It is not His grace. It is not His mercy. It is His holiness. It informs everything else He does. Because now He is holy in love. He is holy in power. He is holy in justice. He is holy in mercy. He is holy in grace. He is holy in wrath. When He comes with it, it's different than anybody else. separate, set apart. The equivalent in the Hebrew is kodos. And in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, it is employed when the prophet asks to whom then, or when God says to the prophet, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like Him, says the Holy World, the Holy One. 
of Israel. The Creator is altogether set apart from the creation to the point that the substance of our existence is unable to reckon Him. You want to know how holy God is? God is so holy that even when we encounter Him, we cannot reckon Him. We have no ability to relate. We have no ability to understand. It is as foreign to us as a sphere is from a line segment. If you were Coach Fox's geometry class. We don't have a reference. He is unsearchable to man. Which is why Job chapter 23, verse 8 and 9, Behold, I go forward, but He is not there. Backward, but I do not perceive Him. On the left hand, when He is working, I do not behold Him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see Him. <clears throat> and if you have read that section of Job where they are grappling with these things, you know that they are desperate to find God. And they cannot find Him because He is holy and they are not. John chapter 5, verse 37, Jesus says it this way, The Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And so if you don't want to trust it from Job, that maybe Job just doesn't have all of his doctrinal ducks in a row. Here's Christ. He goes, boys, you've never seen Him. You've, his voice you've never heard. He's holy. He's different. He's other than you. Because of this, these creatures never cease to cry. It literally means in the Greek, they rest, not have, day and night. They speak of the aspects of His holiness. I love this. We did a lot on it when we were here. I'm not going to do the detail on it tonight because we don't have time, but it is so cool. You've got to mention it. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things by Your will. They existed and were created. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. Let's, we're going to talk about the creation. We have to talk about the Creator. If you're going to talk about the Creator, He cannot be the Creator unless He existed at a point when the creation didn't. This is logic 101. Right? If you're going to create something, you've got to be around before it was. And the aspect of His eternal, His holiness is in His eternal. He is the one who was and is and is to come. I'll machine gun the grammar here for you because the longer you spend in it, the more convoluted it gets. What you see here is an absolute breakdown. You only see this a couple times in Scripture. And every time you see it, it is always dealing with the person of God Himself. It happens with Paul a couple times. It happens with John a couple times. But every time you see just this kind of like, meh, 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 like 
man, Greek is a sharp language, and when it starts melting down, you're talking about something that the human mind can't just quite get its grasp on. He is the one who was and is and is to come. We think about that real neat in English. We think he was, past tense, and now he is, present tense, and he is to come, future tense. God's always been. He's here right now. He's always going to be. Man, what is being said? And that's true. God always was. He's here right now. He's always going to be. It's true. But man, if you stop there, we are falling way short of what John is saying. He was. The Greek is M-A. And it literally means to exist, to be. Here's the crazy thing. It's in the imperfect tense and the active voice. So, he... An imperfect tense verb is a verb that is still ongoing. It's a verb that started in the past. It's like when you say, I'm, if you say, I'm running. That means at some point in the past, I started running, I continued running, I'm still running up to the present. That's why it's imperfect. You haven't finished yet. If you had finished and were no longer running, it would be in the perfect tense and you would say, I ran. But it's imperfect. The verb's not done. You're going. The crazy thing is in the active voice, which means it's happening right now. This is like, this is Greek gone wild. This is the equivalent of John saying or recording what these, these beings are saying and saying he was and is still there wasing right now. At this moment, this reaches to what Jesus says when he says, before Abraham was, I am. Not before Abraham was, I was, but before Abraham was, right now, I am. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is still back there, was a And who is, once again, M.A., this time in the present tense active voice, exactly what you'd expect, right now, being God. Who is to come. Or Chomai. That which becomes. The complete word study dictionary of the New Testament would tell you that forms of the Attic verb yame, to go, to be, are used for future, imperative, and imperfect, but not here. Not here. Instead, his present tense. His future is now. His past is now. His now is now. His future is now. Because He's holy. He's not the creation. He's something completely different. And the four living creatures can't get enough. They just keep declaring it over and over and over. For He is infinitely holy. He is worthy Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things. By Your will, they exist and were created. This concept of worthy finds its root in, in to weigh. And everything that was being weighed in this day was weighed on a balance beam and it was referred to the manner of when you really loaded a balance scale down that the beam would actually buckle under the weight that was being balanced on it. It is a weighty thing. It affects the scale. 
He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. And after all, He created all things, but not only did He create them, by His will they exist and hold together. If you want an expansion on that, Colossians is a great book to tear into. In the midst of this, glory upon glory. I mean, you talk about. I don't have time to digress here much tonight, but you talk about culture shock. I never heard of culture shock. The first time when I was in junior high, we took a we took a mission trip to El Snizo, Mexico. Yes, sir. I'm not joking a bit. Okay. El Snizo, Mexico. And we went down on the border for a week and uh, did some Bible school stuff and those sorts of things and, and you know, handed out hygiene kits and, and, and that sort of stuff. And one of the things they talked about on the way down there uh, was, you know, culture shock. You know, you got to watch out for culture shock. What's that? You know, I know of, you know, like insulin shock and electricity shock. What's culture shock? And say, oh, it's, it's really hard on some people. You get down there, it's so foreign to you, and you just like flip out, you know. And uh, that may actually be the case if you get dropped off in like a PNG or something with a helicopter or a backpack. But man, if you go into culture shock in El Nino, Mexico, you probably just need to kind of stiffen your upper lip a little bit. I mean, they had Coke machines, you know. It's, yes, it was dusty. Yeah, you know, people were a little dirty. Kids were a little dirty sometimes. But it wasn't like, you know, they had boom boxes and cars with hydraulics occasionally that would go by. Like, it's not that much of a culture shock, right? And they all speak some English. But can you imagine the level of culture shock? that John was in a, in a prison colony. A prison colony. In a day when, you know, there was no Amnesty International. He was in a prison column, exiled to this coral rock of an island that sets off the coast in the Mediterranean. And the next thing you know, he is in the throne room of the holy living God. next is just crazy to me. Because what comes next is weeping in heaven. I saw on the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written on the back and the front and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And if you know, if you've been with us in this study, and you know what's in that scroll. What's in that scroll is the remainder of the Revelation. It is the second half of Daniel. It is the fulfillment of the question 
that was asked by the disciples in Matthew 24 when they said, How long, O Lord, will these things be? What will be the sign of Your coming and of the end of the age? And this is the answer. This is the apocalypsis. This is the revealing of Jesus Christ in His power. That's why we call it the revelation. Because that's how it starts. The apocalypse is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, John wants to know. He was one of the ones that asked. He wants to know. And here's the scroll. That sucker sealed up tight as a drum. John weeps. Because even though his... Divine power and eternal nature can be clearly perceived in the things that were created so that men are without excuse. God Himself is unknowable to us. You can't do it. His form you've never seen, Christ said, His voice you've never heard. This awesome God that holds in His hands the answers to all of this glory not be known to us. Exodus 33, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. John 5.37, we already quoted, the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. Man, Paul gets right down to the brass tacks in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16 and said to He who is blessed and the only Sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an approachable light, to whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. It's not just that no one's never seen Him. They can't see Him. It's holy. John weeps. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. John is weeping because the revelation of God Himself cannot be made known to him until he is told to weep no more. 
for the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain, is worthy, willing, and able to reveal an unknowable God to you. Yeah, it was Jesus that said, listen, His voice you've never heard, His form you've never seen. It's not a coincidence that it was John himself that recorded it. It was also John who at the very beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14 through 18, said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, that being the Baptist, bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me because He was before Me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God. Excuse me. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God can be known to us. God the Father can be seen by us, can be seen by John in such a way that he has to use the word like a lot, but he can actually give you a description of what he saw. John can actually write the re- the, the entirety of the remainder of the Revelation, the last half of the book of Daniel. And he can do that, receiving it from a holy God, even in his own vulgarity, because God the Son has made God the Father known. He has made it known. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus says it like this, All things have been handed over to Me by My Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Well, there it is. Notice, this is where we'll call it good for tonight. We'll do part two next week. Notice that in the midst of this description, it says in verse 8 of chapter 5 that when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a heart and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And you talk about a holy reality. A place that is other than. I don't know how you put prayers in a bowl. But they can do it. And so here is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb that was slain. Here is the only God who sits at the Father's side. Here is Jesus Christ, our Lord. doing the thing that He does, making the unknowable God knowable to His people. And in the midst of all of this swirling glory, which man, try to outline this stuff. Golly. Make you want to run back to the epistles there. 
they're easy. In this swirling vortex of glory. In the midst of Him making known an unknowable God to His people. You see Him pouring out these bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints. Guys, like we said at the beginning, John, the great marker of progressive time, records what Jesus had to say to the churches. And before He's going to record what is to come, He records what happens after that, but before what is to come. He's recording what is happening right then. Right then. In heaven. In the midst of holy, 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 an unknowable God stands the Lamb who is slain. Making the unknowable God noble. Pouring out the prayers of the saints. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Speaking about the priesthood of Christ. Incense should key in there a little bit. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that being Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, holy, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. What does he do in his priesthood? He lives to make intercession for His people. The word intercession literally means to get in for. He lives to get in for His people. And who? Golly, we're talking about God the Son. Who in the world do you get in with for your people? You get in for your people with God the Father who could otherwise not be known by them. lives to make intercession. You see the Father ennobles God's character and purpose. The broken heart of John as he considers these things and man, then you see the answer. And the prayers of the saints being dumped out before the throne are being answered in that moment. How long, O Lord, until you come? see Christ revealing God to His people. You see Christ getting in to God on behalf of His people. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all working together in the perfect harmony of the Trinity for the glory of their name and for the rejoicing of their people. We'll look more into the Lamb Himself next week. Thank you. Praise the Lord.